This is the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. Inside, you'll learn how to build, grow, and scale your digital marketing agency all from the comfort of your favorite coffee shop. Let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. This is the podcast that gives you a little inside look into how entrepreneurs grew their digital marketing agencies. I am Tabitha Thomas, your host. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, can I encourage you to go hit that subscribe button as we release new episodes each and every Tuesday. So today I have with me Daniela. Danny Bell. And Danny is the founder and CEO of Scribbly.io. Now, Scribbly is a professional content marketing agency providing professional, scalable content marketing services to most, if not all, business types from all over the world. Danny, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to get to know you and, and learn a little bit about <clears throat> Scribbly. But before we jump into Scribbly, uh, was starting and running your own business something that you always wanted to do? Or was that idea forged along the way in your journeys in marketing and copywriting? Um, no, the answer to that is absolutely not. I think it's one of those things that I still kind of struggle to um, kind of believe actually that I'm doing now. Um, I think I so even before I was freelancing in in copywriting and content marketing um I'd kind of just always had this idea of myself as like not an entrepreneur it's really not an idea it's just I guess I don't know I didn't ever see anyone that looked a bit like me or I just didn't imagine that those I'm not a very kind of like confident um uh I just not the type of personality I imagined an entrepreneur is so I yeah. kind of always assumed I would work for somebody and so now it kind of happened very, very organically, very naturally. Um, and I sometimes really have a moment of like, wow, this is just amazing. Like if I can do it, like anyone can do it. Um, so it's been uh, an amazing, I would say as much personal journey as it has been professional one. Yeah. Um, very much driven by my desire to um, just like, I feel, I think for me being self-employed is very much like a philosophical quest. Um, yeah. Like I really, really don't ever want to feel like I'm enslaved to my work. Mm -hmm. um, I want it to fit around the kind of life that I want to live. I want to be able to have a family without any stress seeping in from, you know, uh, other sources. Um, I mean, a little bit's fine, but you know, within, within context, I very much want to have that work-life balance with life very much like tipping the scales um and so leaving before i used to work in a very corporate setting and um gradually transitioned into freelance work which gradually transitioned into starting an agency um that their primary motivator has very much been to kind of like design the life that i want um so yeah i would say it's been an, a happy accident if anything <laughs> that's awesome so how did you even get into copywriting in the first place i mean did you go to school for that is that something you like that's always a skill that you had that you knew that you could develop or is that something that just kind of happened kind of accidentally um so i'm not um so when i my, my background is actually really really uh jungle gym like um i started my career working for the government actually in the uk and i over the course of a few years started to sort of like specialize in digitization of public services 
Um, okay. I, during that time, I really figured out that I wanted to work not in a corporate big machine, but actually like in a sort of nimble, more startup-y environment. Mm -hmm. So I retrained as a, actually like a UX designer originally. Okay. And was working in um, agencies that were working specifically with small companies and startups. And then I went client side. And then when I was client side, I was like, really struggling I was um I don't know if it was like the quarter life crisis or what but I just really got um quite an intense case actually of like I don't know if I would call it depression but it was like not far off I was not yeah. feeling good and I was really struggling to understand why and um I knew I needed to make a big change in my life and I just didn't know what it was and I kept kind of jumping from one job to another and always coming back to the same feeling of just like is this it is this the next 60 years yeah and um <clears throat> for my own sake I needed to do something that gave me more sort of sense of purpose and and that I was more passionate about so I started I've always written my whole life it's been something that has always been my kind of like just something I love to do mm -hmm. and so I started to um pick up some odd jobs here and there as a freelance copywriter and um, started to get some kind of consistent work that I was then like, Do you know what, I'm just going to quit my job and see what happens with this and see if it takes me somewhere that um, feels better. For me yeah, personally. so I say it can't go worse, right? <laughs> can't be worse. Like I can't feel more like unfulfilled than right now. So I, I gave it a shot and um, knowing that I had, you know, a, a stream of income, it wasn't like the same as my salary, but I wasn't jumping into the abyss either. And um, that just gradually, I think as soon as I started to engage with something that felt um, very passionate about, I wanted to work more. I felt more ambitious about it. I um, naturally started like, with, I'm not, um, not to toot my own horn or whatever, but I think I'm quite a good copywriter. So I started to get like a lot of work and um, got a real sense of purpose. And so slowly my, um, Bait my my time kind of filled up like I'd maxed out what I could possibly do within you know a human week mm -hmm. so I started to outsource some of that to other writers who I had a really good um relationship with and that was like the very very embryonic version of Scribbly I was just kind of coordinating a network of writers to deliver to my existing client network like they knew this was happening um, I was like, you know, I know you need more of my time. I can't give it to you. But what I can do to do is sort of like support you with other resources and guarantee it will be the same, like mm -hmm. in terms of outputs. And over the course of that period, I, I really started to realize that there were um, specific pain points that they were all kind of coming to me with. The reason they wanted so much of my time is not because I was so amazing, but because they were struggling with the same types of issues, which was struggling to find great resources affordably, struggling to find reliable resources, having the time to kind of like, you know, even if you're recruiting external contractors, finding those people mm. can be a process and managing them can be a process. And even knowing what to ask them for is a process. Um, so I started to kind of think, okay, well, how could I productize this as a service? and do something that's infinitely scalable yeah and that's where the early ideas of scribbly was born um and it launched in a, in a, a different version to now uh, back then we were focusing more on copywriting than content marketing but that launched in um, 2018 
And since then, the, the model has been refined based on the clients that we know really love what we do and, um, you know, better understanding of the market and stuff. Oh, that's incredible. So do you have all of this? You said they all have the same kind of pain points. So are they all kind of the same type of clients? Are they the same niche or are they all drastically different? I would say there's definitely like um, buckets that our clients fall into. On the one hand, they're either very small agencies looking to provide extra services to their clients. Okay. Um, so they might be like marketing agencies or development agencies looking to give an additional kind of like add another string to their bow and provide not just like a website, but the copy on the website or mm -hmm. a marketer who wants to do an amazing landing page and all of the kind of related content that comes with it like ads and emails and ebooks and things like that. Um, so we kind of white label our service to those types of usually very small agencies who do, you know, big ambitions, lots of clients, but not many in-house resources. Then on the direct to business side, I would say it's mostly um, larger startups and scale-ups okay. who have money. They know they have a dedicated marketing budget. They know they need to invest in content, but they tend to not have a content team. And even if they do, they're not sure that it's the best investment that they have someone in-house writing stuff or, you know, they might have someone strategizing about things, but they, they just want to kind of outsource a big part of the execution to, um, to another resource. That's well, and like you said, one person only has so many hours in a day or a week that they can yeah. do. So by hiring you, that probably is more like several people instead of just one working <laughs> exactly and you know we we can we bring a it's the great thing about I think when, when we're talking to people it's like you know you can especially for agencies actually when you work with Scribbly you get your 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 team suddenly becomes a, a massive range of different experiences and expertise you can on one hand come to us and get someone who's written extensively about say aviation and then the next time someone who specializes in fintech if you hire someone in-house you know they're going to maybe be an amazing writer at kind of like um managing to to uh figure out a completely new topic and write about it convincingly but they yeah. might not necessarily know that industry super well so we bring a bunch of like kind of ready-made hand-picked amazing people and say we'll we'll do all of we'll, we'll make sure that what you get is is published ready because we've done all the hard work of finding those writers having a great editorial team and just like processes that make the whole thing smooth i love that so tell me more about how many people you have in scribbly and how are you finding great content writers because to me that is the hardest thing in the world is finding somebody that knows their stuff and can talk the lingo yeah. how do you go yeah. about finding those people i'm sure it's a trial and error kind of thing but it's uh, definitely a process and <laughs> it's the thing that is the hardest and not because there aren't amazing writers out there but i mean you you by going on the website you'll see that we're not um there there are different types of services in this space there's very cheap services where they're basically outsourcing very very cheap writers usually in in um I don't know. In, it, the, the, it's the, the aim is to just churn through as much content as possible. Like quality is not necessarily like the main priority. Yeah. There's those kind of services. Then there's on the other hand, enterprise services, which are like, they won't even talk to you unless you've got 10 grand to put on the table every month. So there's this like big gap in the middle of businesses that are completely underserved and who want to have um, amazing content, but don't have the budget 
or really know how to justify even asking for that budget if, yeah. if they were, you know, to go and seek out one of these expensive services. So what we've tried to do is price ourselves right in the middle of the market and give, so um, I'm not now editing, but for a long time I was editing. Um, now I'm replaced by other really amazing people who are even better than I am. Um, so what we do is try and work with writers who are, they're not, you know, the kind of people who are going to charge you 500 bucks for a blog post, mm -hmm. which cheap, cheap work with writers who are cheaper than that. But what we do do is uh, they're, they're very experienced, but we couple that, their experience with an amazing editorial team. So we kind of like lift quality all the time. So we're able to sort of provide that like enterprise service at mid-market level just by having like a hand, basically by investing in the editorial team above um, almost anywhere else because well, a big that um, makes you stand out in itself the fact that there's not just one eyeball looking at something there's several making sure yeah. that the quality that's that's awesome and it's like a big thing because you know even if content is written incredibly it might not quite be on brand um we might be communicating about something in a way that doesn't fit the, the sort of like messaging for a product so a big part of that editorial process is also just like aligning with um what you've told us you want to communicate and how you want to communicate so um it, to your question about how we find those writers i'm really lucky that now um we have a sort of like level of um awareness that writers apply directly to us but i also have historically and, and do continue to do this um to a certain extent engage in uh, community like slack communities with content writers um on twitter i'll find people on linkedin um people get referred to me um we it's it's it is a process of trial and error and i think at the very beginning what i really focused on was just getting like two or three incredible writers and then building up from there because the more you start to add in like now there's around 50 uh, writers who we work with yeah but um each one of those has to learn the scribbly way if that makes sense because we definitely have like a house style and a kind of way of doing things that's I would say you could probably spot scribbly content if that makes sense, because we definitely got a kind of vibe that we go for, even though it's on brand, we, we, there's definitely like a kind of approach that we take. Um, and so you kind of want to get even great writers aligned with that. So we've really tried to bring people in like kind of slowly, gradually to make sure that we're not then having to just re-edit everything or, you know, spend a lot of time after it's been delivered to us. So, but it's the hardest bit if you if you want to start a content service like honestly it, i get contacted by a lot of um other businesses like ours being like will you um recruit writers for us because we just can't find these people like <laughs> but but it's, again it's not because the writers don't exist it's because the market has kind of pushed businesses like scribbly to be cheaper which yeah. of course then means the quality is you're going to have to work with cheaper writers and that has a, you know, that has an impact. It does definitely. So when they first come on being nosy now, I'm just digging in. So uh, when they first come on, do you give them like a small project that they start with? Like they have to review your brand and then write something about Scribbly. And then I like, how does that look when they first yeah, come so on? That's exactly it. Actually. Oh, we, nice. I basically work through a Scribbly task for them. Um, and just, I brief them as if they were writing for me, if I'm their client, 
Um, and every trial is paid. Like we only work with people on that trial period that we really believe has wings. So, you know, before that, there'll be a, just checking through their portfolio, understanding a bit about their experiences. Do we need someone in that space? Like what are yeah. their rates, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, yeah, if we feel confident, then we'll give them um, a task for Scribbly, um, which will be a kind of like really good measure of, we're not looking for like someone who's perfect, but rather like, is there that instinctive sort of, um, do they instinctively approach language and web copy in the way that we do? Mm-hmm. And can we kind of, is it going to be a process of just sort of making small adjustments and small alignments rather than like, you know, reshaping them completely? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the questions that I can't wait to ask you this, that we get from a lot of our members is what did the first six months look like when you first started Scribbly? So you see all these, you know, successful people and it looks great now, but what did the first six months look like? Like how, how much of the work were you doing yourself? What did it look like day in and day out? It was um, definitely me hundred percent just doing stuff by myself and figuring out, um, what the hell I was doing actually and just trying to sort of I basically had no life whatsoever like funnily enough me saying that I wanted to kind of manage marry my work-life balance the the process of starting Scribbly meant I had to kind of give up on so much of my free time because I was just I wasn't writing mm-hmm. um that's one thing I just from the very beginning wanted to make sure I had a, a you know a very systematic process because that is the business so if you don't kind of have a way of of scaling that you don't really have the business um but what i was doing was checking every single piece of work that came through the door um managing every single client doing all of the sales doing all of the marketing um figuring out how to run a business basically all while handling the day-to-day operations of stuff yeah so and actually i did that for about 18 months just until i had enough revenue that i could then start to build out the team um but i think the first six months were definitely a process of just trying things out and learning to trust my judgment um because i i definitely just um had this idea about myself that like other people know how to do this and i just don't know how you know other people know how to set up a crm i just don't know how or um other people would just if if, if only i had more experience i would do this sales thing in a totally different way and over time, what I learned as I spoke to more people and kind of got insights into their processes, I realized that um, actually my way wasn't that different to theirs and it mm-hmm. worked. So it didn't really matter if it was different anyway. Um, so imposter syndrome and insecurity and kind of figuring all of that out was a huge part of those um, those those early days. And, and the mental load of that is massive. It's just tiring to constantly be second guessing yourself. Yeah. So I'd say the first six months were probably like the least nice bit of the whole thing. <laughs> so, hey, but somebody has to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like you, you've got to, you've got to kind of go through that really uphill bit until you come to a point where you're like, okay, I kind of, I can see the vision now. I see where we're going. I understand what needs to be done, but the process of getting there is just a lot of unknowns and yeah. you're only going to figure them out by making mistakes. Right. And that's a natural and healthy part of the process. That's one of my mottos in life is fail and fail often because that's where you learn the absolute most. It sucks, but you learn the most and you never make those mistakes again. You keep moving forward. So yeah, 
I'm glad that you shined a light on some of that. So we talked about uh, Scribbly being so easily customizable. So how did you create it to where it's easily fit to any business type and how difficult was it to create that perfect formula? Um, in the early days, I had a real problem with this because I realized that without knowing it, I kind of hadn't set any systems or processes in place around how we price or how we create these custom pieces of work. Um, so it meant that basically no one could ever uh, sell anything apart from me because it was all basically in my head. Um, so what I, a really, really critical part of kind of taking Scribbly to that next level has been to um, have very, very defined and immovable ways of pricing. Um, these are all very clearly and like um, almost the overkill documented in our, we have like this internal knowledge hub, uh, meaning that no matter if you want 40 million pieces of content a month or if you want one, there's a price structure that anyone can go into and be like, okay, I need a calculator and then I'm going to figure out very very clearly and quickly what it is that this would then equate to and the way we did that was to transform uh, we, we moved away from thinking about content pieces to mm -hmm. thinking about content as units of words so words are I mean effectively it's nothing revolutionary but we we we, we price even though we add loads of things around what we deliver in written like the, the written work that you'll get we deliver loads of stuff around it, you know, like strategy, account management, editing, all of that stuff. But we still kind of price in a in a, a rate per word, meaning that we think about kind of words as units. So no matter what you need, it's very easy to piece together a customizable package because you just slot together what you know everything super super seamlessly. That's awesome. So how did how long? That's the question. How long did it take you to come up with that pricing structure to be able to? allow other people to look at it the way you do? Um, it was, um, I'd say it wasn't until June last year that I actually even wrote any of this down. Before that, I kind of had like, oh, yeah, I normally charge about this for that kind of project. So that's probably about what this will, do, will be. Um, it wasn't until I realized that that's just not a sustainable way of running a business uh, and not really like very transparent either to that I, I actually just sat down and took a week off and I just figured out okay well what are my operating costs what am I like in terms often I think a trap that agency owners or certainly productized service owners fall into is to think about how much does a piece of work cost me and therefore how much margin should I put on top that then equals the price but it's not really a scalable way of pricing. Like when you're selling one blog post, yeah, maybe, but when you're selling like 400 blog posts a month, you don't need to think about a single unit, but rather your service as a whole, you're going to have products that are way more profitable than others. You're going to have stuff where you're in it for like volume rather than individual sales. So you kind of need to think of everything, how it fits together and, and determine because so much of what you will add is not just like, it's not just margin it's like experience it's time it's like another set of eyes that are di guiding the this piece of work in another direction and you need to have total confidence in what that's worth uh so i guess like in that a, a large learning has been to price confidently to not apologize that we're more expensive than our competitors but to just own that and be like you know i wouldn't often i say to people like if then 
not sure that we're worth it, I'd just say, um, I would encourage you to go and test out a cheaper service, see how it feels. It might be perfect for you. And that's totally cool because that's just where you're at as a business right now. It just means we're not the right fit and that's fine. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, then our door is always open because, you know, saying no to business that isn't quite right for you is also super important part of like figuring out that whole pricing structure. So true. So true. So what yes. does, what does the pricing look like if somebody comes to you for, for a package or a product or package, what does that look like? inside Scribbly. I know it can vary quite, yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> so we have like set packages, which um, our smallest package is $495 a month. And that contains 2000 words. You can use like for 95% of our customers, they come to us because they want content marketing, which means that we do all of the kind of, we create content strategy for them. We'll do their keyword research. We'll create content plan. We'll obviously get that content produced and delivered um every month it's kind of like they just put their content on autopilot and gotcha. most people that's just their their blog universe we do for example for our agencies their packages are kind of like retainers if you like they have yeah. two thousand words that they can use however they like across um any client so that might be two thousand words equals i don't know uh three landing pages or a set of emails or um if we were to price for those individual products outside of a package, they can be more expensive or they are more expensive. Like yeah. for example, um, a landing page on its own would cost $495 because we want to like push people, push is the wrong word, but we want to encourage people to go into one of our packages. Um, we get as the, the, the relationship between us and the client is way better when we work in that kind of consistent way. Mm -hmm. Also for us, it's consistent revenue. So that's, you know, way worth, yeah. way worth having a lower margin on an individual product. If it means over the course of a year, you've got it 12 times over. Well, um, it also allows that agency to be able to upcharge that service for their own thing and make a little bit of money off of it as well. So that's exactly, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so I found a few references about how much Scribbly is making, but I haven't seen any yeah. recent data. So how many clients do you guys have across the globe right now? And what does a month what does a month look like in Scribbly? Um, so right now we have around 28 active subscriptions. Some of them are, you know, not, in fact, a fair few of them are not our kind of set packages. So we mm -hmm. might have some that are smaller than our, our micro and some that are larger or in between our middle and biggest package. But we have 28 um, ongoing subscriptions every month. We also have a number of um, one-off products that we do uh -huh you know, just ad hoc stuff. But like, for example, this month, oddly enough, this whole Corona period has been um, a period of growth for us. And yep. strangely, I think it's been a um, maybe businesses realizing like they want to invest in stuff that's more sustainable, like content doesn't just, if you stop spending money on content, the content you've already invested in keeps paying returns. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, paid marketing, you stop paying for it and it's that traffic is gone. Um, so right now, this month, we're on track to turn over around 37 uh, US uh, this month. Nice. That comes with a big caveat. That that's obviously revenue. That is not profit. And as you scale a service like Scribbly, you need to bring more people in to do, continue to do amazing work. 
Um, so, you know, operating costs have also grown. So I would probably say our profit might not even be less than it was when we were earning less. But I think it's kind of like a necessary tipping point mm -hmm. to then go to that next level. Yeah. Um, you know, I've just hired like another um, experience. We have Lauren is our head of content. She's been kind of handling all of our, um, like a quality check of everything uh -huh. that goes out, making sure that she's like an incredible um, writer and editor just hired basically another support for Lauren of, of equal kind of experience and salary, which is like a big investment to make in the business, but absolutely essential if we're able to kind of not like grow, but also not have Lauren burnt out. Yeah. Um, Cause you lose her that that's a big, that that's a big, a huge way. blow. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Huge blow. Plus I'm also, um, uh, pregnant which is exciting congratulations also, <laughs> thank you it's also a bit scary because obviously i need to be able to like not be in the business at all in a couple of months uh -huh. so you know making those investments now to find the right people work with them for a good few months get them ready and happy and comfortable and then i can confidently step aside and know that the business is in good hands that in itself and just to be able to enjoy the first few months of the baby is just incredible i had to do that with my work too i had a, got pregnant had to hire somebody and actually where we worked there was like five or six of us and three of us got pregnant at the exact same time so all three of us went on maternity leave and everybody was like you can't do that and i'm like well we did sorry it was not yeah, sorry about that nobody knew the other was trying you know so it was just yeah. it was funny how that happened I mean they were literally I think they all all three kids are like three to four weeks apart so oh wow oh my gosh <laughs> so talk about a hurdle but congratulations yeah. that's awesome babies are Thank amazing you. so yes so with having clients all over the world does that mean that you guys get to travel all over the world or do you guys do a lot of stuff remotely and is your team in-house are they all over we are completely remote so we do everything online and i think that's probably been a really important thing for us during the, the disruption of this year because we were already working like this anyway mm -hmm. uh, we have all the systems in place both from an internal team perspective but also external client management stuff we've just never ever seen people in in person so it was fine not to do that like now um so yeah i mean we just use a lot of uh, ordinary tools like um for clients, we have our, uh, we have a dashboard, like a client dashboard. We use something called spp.co, which is like, um, I mean, it's like a plug and play backend for your, for your customer management. Okay. You can in invoice through it. You have all of your deliver, like uh, customers can raise requests, orders through it. You deliver through it. It's just like a customer portal and you just yeah. literally plug it into your uh, setup um so that kind of is the client management side of stuff and then internally we use slack um mm -hmm. google hangouts google google drive is like the main thing we use for, for for writers in terms of like they deliver everything in a google doc our content calendars are in google sheets like this kind of stuff oh that makes it easy I, it always makes me wonder how people edit things together because everybody's got a different system that they use but yeah. google Google's a really great one. So I also see that you have a vast library of articles and guides on the website known as the Knowledge Hub, covering a wide array of topics. Do you have one that stands out in your mind as a, a must-have advice for, for any agency owners? Um, in terms of like stuff that we write about on our, our website? Yeah. yeah. I would say there's like a couple of probably like more um, 
useful or like actionable pieces that we've just recently published. So one is around, um, it's called a content marketing checklist. And it's basically like a 10 step checklist with, um, you can download an infographic that will just walk you through, like if you're gonna do content marketing, make sure you're thinking about these 10 things. And if you're not, go back and revisit something that's missing. There's also um, how to create content faster, which is great for small businesses who just don't have the time and headspace to spend a bunch of time on like writing stuff. Um, again, there's a handy infographic you can download and just kind of work your way through this, this checklist and make sure like you've got those strategies in place. And then if you're like totally new to all of this and you're like heard about SEO, but you don't really know what it is or like how content fits into it, we just published this really, really long guide on um, like the art of SEO writing because you're doing keyword research is one thing and knowing what you want to target is one thing, but then you need to make sure you like technically implementing that in your writing style, which mm -hmm. is what I think I mentioned earlier, like writing for the web. When I, when I say that I, I'm talking about writing for um, SEO. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a really long kind of step-by-step -step guide to unpick what, you need to know and how you need to implement that knowledge. Awesome. Those are, I'm gonna have to go check those out myself. So awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those with our, with our audience. So is there any changes that you've seen in the field of digital marketing during the recent crazy months that we've been having? And is there anything that is helping or hurting right now? Um, so I think there's been a definite shift from brands in sort of like, really wanting to add genuine value for their customers there's been a sh there's been a shift from like pushing um kind of sales and pushing like this is what we do and this is why you should care to being much more gentle and holistic about like you know let's take uh let's take an example um of a company that's been doing this for a long time okay so stripe for example stripe is a payment um solution despite that they have a content universe that has like basically anything you need to know if you run a business that mindset is all around like being helpful and catching people where they are in their information journey and and helping those people to understand about your brand just by virtue of the fact they were looking for something that you kind of loosely are related to there's definitely been a shift in focus during the corona times of people of brands are wanting to not just talk about themselves, but think about how they can add value to their customers at a time when they're struggling. Because, um, you know, it's just, it's like, I'm sure it does come from a place of authenticity, but like, you, you know, you need to pivot. If, if everyone's in pain, you need to be pivoting and, and speaking to that new lived reality. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't make sense to start talking about how great your product is if your customers are just not there right now. So you keep them with you by continuing to engage with them helpfully through content that um, might not in any way be related to your product right now, but that keeps you front of mind so that when they are ready, when they are back there, you've been with them all along. And I think it's that relationship building aspect of marketing that has always been there. It's always been something that's, you know, brands have known about you know cared about mm -hmm. but has been way more important i think this year than in previous um months and, and years i could not agree more and i've noticed stuff too in our local local area where businesses are, are 
really stepping out to help other businesses promote what they've got going on. So if there's like yeah. a restaurant that's helping hospital staff that other businesses are talking about that business in itself. Yeah. And, everybody's kind of pulling together. So I, I couldn't agree more. Love it. Love it. So with the success and the current path of Scribbly, where do you see yourself in five years besides, you know, new baby and toddler? New baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, I think what I would love to see is to have Scribbly function and not just function, but to, to thrive without me in the mix. And I don't mean that I'm not going to be involved in Scribbly, but I'd love to just have a team that kind of is is able to sort of continue my vision without me needing to necessarily steer the ship um mm. directly because I think that's like the marker that you've really made it like that you've built a brand that exists beyond you that if you were to drop off the face of the earth tomorrow the thing that you've been creating has its own momentum and I still think Scribbly is is I'm still a really a big part of like how things are done and I would just love to kind of transcend that and um I guess another big part of that is to have people who have a vision for the future of content marketing kind of join the team because probably in five years it won't be people writing content it will probably be um AI and or a mix of AI and humans and I think there'll be a lot more technology in the mix um there's already a lot of really like pretty incredible stuff now so I guess it's like, I don't want to make, I don't want to rest on my laurels and think, okay, we're, you know, we're doing okay because I, I do think the industry is going to change quite quickly. And if I'm going to have the headspace to be able to think about how the business evolves with that, I, like the, the business needs to be able to function without me so that I can just take a step out and, you know, really focus on the future. Well, and that's incredible in itself because so many people, so many business owners, they have such a tight grip on everything that they have a hard time letting go and letting yeah. others. It's hard. Well, it's your baby when it's your business. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically your baby that you've exactly, you know, yeah. grown and built. It's hard to let go of those things. So I think it's Definitely. incredible that you're working towards those anyway, and very openly and actively doing that. So yeah. the last question that I love to ask every uh, interview that I do is, is there anything that you're currently reading or listening to that's helping you grow as an entrepreneur or as a copywriter? Um, okay. So it might be a bit, um, uh, what's the word It's probably not the right, uh, answer to this question, but I there's no wrong me. answer. <laughs> say that. There's no wrong answer. I think it's really important to engage with as much non-business content as you possibly can when you're not at work, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of just like only reading like business or founder blogs or, you know, engaging with marketing, um, blogs or books or how to be a better leader all of this stuff and you know at some point you just like you forget that you can think about other things and uh -huh. all of those other things are so important to your growth as like not just personally but professionally too so I right now I'm reading a lot about how to be a mum <laughs> and that's helping me a lot to just like calm some of these fears that I have about the future but I think the point of me saying this is just it's so important to remember that you exist outside of this thing that you're building and you need to nurture like all of those other parts of you because it's going to be stressful and you don't want the the your work or, or this business that you're building to define that stress doesn't mean you are not thriving that you're not successful that you're not doing a great job and in order to not kind of feel that 
it is just you, you know consuming you need to just make sure that you keep um other active interests yeah so I'm, I'm watching a lot way. of really trashy things on Netflix just to like <laughs> disconnect I call I it my sh- defrag moment I have to have like my yeah. brain has to like filter things out and let me chill for a yeah. little while <laughs> I'm actually surprised at how much crap like it's sort of like the more stressful things are at work the more I need to watch like utter shit basically in order to like feel back to a normal level everyone makes fun of me because i love murder mystery types so uh, danny thank you so much for being on the podcast i've enjoyed every minute so tell our viewers where they can learn more about scribbly so you can either go to the website at um, scribbly.io or you can follow um the kind of learnings that i'm sort of writing about all the time on twitter at danny underscore scribbly all right i love it all right guys we'll see you next tuesday You've been listening to the Digital Agency Insiders Podcast. For more tutorials on growing your digital marketing agency, make sure to visit digitalagencyinsiders.com.